Bienvenuos. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing that when we do the rim, um, which is going to be when it opens. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the internet, live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. This is the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts, Alex Fielder and Kyle Holland. Today, it's all about safety on transit. We'll talk about how we can make a transit system that is safe and accessible for everyone after the news. Trademarked. Major transit agencies across the nation are well on their way to ridership recovery this week, with Mass Transit Magazine reporting that ridership has rebounded to over 70% of pre-pandemic levels. These gains in ridership are likely being fueled by returns to the office and school, and could put us on track for a full ridership recovery by the end of 2024, especially if transit agencies work diligently to improve service. Really, that weird thing where if you run service, people ride it I know. it's nice. And I'm just taken back by the name Mash Transit Magazine. That's, I've never that's heard the of industry that. magazine. That is for the industry yeah. magazine. Yeah. That's where I actually get the news most days for um, the news trademark. That's where I get <laughs> most of the news from because it's just kind of a good source for that sort of thing. Well, understandably, they really have a magazine for everything, don't they? <laughs> they do. Yeah, though. <laughs> yeah. Like you could you could be like I don't know. Um, Yugoslavian Clowns Magazine Weekly. (laughs) (laughs) And it would be like a serious big thing. Yeah, and it's been like 400 years of history, and yeah. So, big deal. Um, 70% is good, actually. Um, In more unfortunate and more local news, transit riders in Utah will be facing significant service cuts this December. The staffing crisis has come to a head at the Utah Transit Authority, forcing the agency to cut back service on over 20 routes. Notable among these are the ski buses, <laughs> ski bu- <laughs> are the ski bussy, <laughs> which will offer significantly reduced service this ski season, and is not something to do with the gondola. It's not something to do with the gondola. That's why I said it. It's not, no. Because <laughs> all it's, these... It's just, it's all just these, coincidental. It is literally... <laughs> okay, okay, let me ask you a question, Alex. Would you rather uh-huh. that the wealthy suburbanites who are the primary users of the ski buses get service cut or a whole bunch of other people in the South Valley who already have buses running on an hour schedule get service cut? Probably the rich people. Yeah. Doing something that's not necessary UTAs, to live. UTAs, this is UTA's idea. It's not, they're not cutting it because like, you know, oh, it's a conspiracy to get the gondola <laughs> bill because, you know, the buses right. weren't already horrifically overcrowded. Yeah, they're building it anyway, so it doesn't matter. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. But like all these people on Twitter are just screaming at UTA about how they're conspiring to build the gondola via running no bus service. Maybe these people on Twitter should get together and go apply to work as a bus driver at UTA. (laughs) Get enough of them, we could bring back ski bus service. Hey, I mean, shout out to UTA for, like, actually working to resolve the bus driver crisis. They are actively working on that. Yeah, there's a thousand dollar sign-on bonus now. Ooh, yeah, you should go be a bus driver. Is what I'm saying. (laughs) I drop out of school, become a bus driver. I mean, it pays better than any job we're gonna get. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that sucks. Especially if you are in Ogden. Like Ogden, really got messed up this time. So. They didn't mess with the BRT in Ogden, though? Well, the BRT in Ogden isn't running yet. Oh, okay, so... So, (laughs) 
Wait. Yeah, no, it's Wait. just Meadowbrook Garage and Ogden Garages that are having the main, like, driver shortages, and Meadowbrook operates the South Valley and the ski buses, and Ogden operates... I wonder which bus routes they operate. Maybe the Ogden buses. Well, we should donate one of the buses we're not using to Cash Valley <laughs> so they can get that, yeah. that line up and running. Right. I agree. The Ogden this, to Logan Intermodal Transit Center line. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what the thing is called. Probably. Next to Smith's bus station. <laughs> Next to Smith's bus station. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw an intermodal transit hub on my way up to the U the other day. You know the bus stop by the old Sizzlers by Sugar House Park? Which yeah. is now going to become some... a come and go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the future come and go location. Why? Why <laughs> okay. I, I know this may not be, like, entirely not safe for podcasts, but, like... K-U-M and go? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Why would you voluntarily name your convenience store that? Um, I don't know. For the lulls. I don't know. For the lulls, yeah. apparently. Why would you build it across the street from a different... From a different gas station. <laughs> yeah. Look, I get that free market competition is good, but it doesn't mean you have to be next to each other. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure you can only, like get into it by right turning coming north on 13th. I don't know if you can actually get into that lot from any other angle. But you can get into the other one going south, so... Oh, oh that's why they have it on both Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. need to be able to make only right turns Well, there's the... a big, there's yeah. a giant honking median and, like, the entire big, like... Make a U-turn, because they're legal here for no but reason. if you have a death wish, you would U-turn into the Chevron yeah. anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, this People is, don't stop turning do away. Yeah. So, yeah, um, anyway. Convenience store in every corner, right turn only. Oh, yeah, also the RTD derailed. I probably should notice that. Oh, yeah, because, that's kind Because of in, in Aurora, uh, on, I don't remember which, I think it's the E-Line or something, I can't remember, but they have this ridiculous, like, square turn that they had to make like to go around something because the property owner wouldn't sell and it's basically just a parking lot but they had to go around it so they have this like these like four really tight curves and so on one side they approach them from ballasted track where they go like you know 55 and so the driver kind of just didn't slow down (laughs) and so the RTD train it just hits the curve at 45 or whatever and just derails the rails like Really nasty. Really I, nasty. It somehow didn't turn over. Here, wait. Can I look at a picture? Let's yeah, go look at a picture. Okay. It's cool. But, like, well, not cool. But it, it looks cool. And, yeah, it just... RTD uh, have no derailments for five years challenge. Impossible. Yeah. The, the R-line? Well, la- oh, it was on the R-line? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. right? At any rate, last time this particular derailment happened in 2019, they considered implementing a sort of PTC system upgrade. Is in the same place? Yeah. Yeah. They considered implementing some some version of PTC to prevent this from happening, uh, but it uh, wasn't in the budget. They were five million because short. Because they're broke because they spent too much money getting debt for the front. Uh, what was their project called? Fast Tracks. Ah. Because we have to uh, come up with a catchy name for every project. If you look up um, RTD derailment, there's lots of pictures. Yeah, RTD derails a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? That's quite a a corner to... Yeah. (laughs) Like, that would be taking, like, the corner after 
after stadium. Yeah, unlike unlike on tracks. On tracks we have a lot of these, but you're just like puttering along the street and then you're like You're downtown. We don't have any tight, tight curves out on the system except at Central Point. Yeah, yeah. And you have to go And that one's after stopping at a platform. Yeah. So And they put the speed feedback sign after somebody derailed at that one. Anyway, RTD stays losing as usual. Um, imagine running light rail lines at thirty minute frequency. Could not be us. Um, <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this has been a significantly extended version of the news. Registered trademark, don't sue us. Yeah. All right, so since we are discussing transit safety today, there is a disclaimer we need to put at the beginning of this episode. By literally every metric, riding public transportation is safer than driving. Per passenger mile, there are significantly less thefts, murders, assaults, rapes, and pretty much every other serious crime you can think of on transit than in private automobiles. Also, you are less likely to die in an accident. So, you know, it's safer. That being said, Perception is often more important than reality. So we're going to be talking about the perception of safety today. Mm. So why is safety important? At its best, a transit system provides freedom and opportunity for everyone that it serves. But safety is a key part of ensuring that everyone has access to said freedom and opportunity. Okay, and then this, this is the part that I get to say here. So for a lot of our audience and hosts, which according to YouTube analytics and my eyeballs, is uh, primarily (laughs) composed of white men, it is kind of hard to imagine how deeply unsafe public transportation can feel and be to a lot of people. This is the same problem that has always existed with public spaces. Yes, this is not, you know, an issue unique to public transportation. It's just an issue with public spaces in that um, a lot of men are not nice to women. (laughs) This is true. Not Pog. Please stop. So, (laughs) statistics. Women. Women, yeah. 54% of women are concerned by harassment on transit. Fair. 29% of women avoid avoid using transit at night. And 75% of women have experienced harassment or theft on public transportation. 75. Those are not pretty numbers. 75. Yeah, this seems... um, Surprising in scale, like, almost. Yeah. 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 Um... Yeah, and this this is especially a problem since uh, nationwide women are 55% of public transportation users. So, you know, a majority of the transit riding population is, <sighs> yeah, not... It's being harassed. It's being harassed and stolen from. Um, now, here in Utah, that's actually a little different. We have 45% women. But it's been stated to me via uh, statistics officers at UTA that um, this is because, you know, we are ranked 50th for women's equality. And so women are working less than they do other places. So go Utah. Less, less people are writing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not great either. No. So anyway, People a majority of, of the writing population is not having a fun time. And yes, as Kyle noted, people of color. People of color are five times more likely to be stopped by transit police and up to twice as likely to experience harassment as white folks. Boo. Yeah, I agree. Racism bad, actually. Really did not know this. Again, not an issue unique to transit. This has been something 
plaguing people who are not like bright neon white since like the dawn of like, <laughs> racist America. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then uh, people of color and Hispanic people are also significantly more likely to be issued citations for fare evasion than white people, despite often making up a much smaller portion of the writing public. For example, on BART, Bay Area Rapid Transportation, a well-known weird post-war metro with five-and-a-half-foot gauge for some reason. Five-and-a-half-foot? Yeah. Huh. Because there's there's an old <laughs> conspiracy that um, they were afraid that freight trains were going to try and run onto the track, so they made it a broad gauge, or that the <laughs> Russians would try and use it if they invaded, so they made it a broad gauge. See, that's a fair European tactic. But uh, like, but well, Russians would bring their own trains to San Francisco and attack by train. This is the. The Cold War was a weird time, okay? Like, they got people using their heads really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, from the aside, on BART, uh, 52% of fair citations are issued to black people. Guess how much, uh, guess, guess what percentage of the writing public of BART is black? 7%. Well, that's lower, actually. It's 12%. Yeah. So, you know. 52% of the fair citations are being issued to 12% of the writing public Boo. who are, you know, probably not more statistically likely to fair dodge than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, not fair. Like, literally just straight-up racism. Yeah. Yeah. So that's bad. And, you know, it makes people feel less safe because if you're... Being racist against them. If you're being racisted <laughs> against... Uh, you maybe don't want to go on the train and be racisted against. Which is fair. Valid. Fair. <laughs> Reasonable. Uh, also, queer people. Uh, th- even operators sometimes are mean to queer people. So that's that's another thing that should be mentioned. So it is absolutely crucial that safety be a top-level issue when planning for transit. And I mean perceived safety here, not just like the actual thing. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Yes. Do you think, like, just hearing statistics makes people feel safer? Or it's going to be just people telling other people they know that they feel safe? The trouble with statistics is that the human brain is not good at interpreting them. Like, when we see a statistic, we're just like, huh, well, okay, whatever. Wow, that homeless guy over there sure looks scary. We can take <laughs> we can take the classic example of automobile deaths for the host's age group. Cars cause twenty two percent of deaths in our entire age group. The leading period. cause of death, correct? Um, or has second, firearms overtaken that? Uh, no, suicide. <laughs> suicide has. Oh, but oh. yeah, twenty two percent of all deaths in our age group, and drivers will happily downplay it as just I don't know, it was an accident. It do be what happens. Well, there are bad drivers, but everyone's you bad driver. don't have to be in the death machine. This is true. This is true. So that's yeah. an example of a statistic where the actual death rate is high and the injury rate is even sky higher. But nobody cares. Yeah. And then there's Whereas transit tra- transit's kind where of the relative safety is actually pretty high, but the perception of safety can be very low. Yeah. And do you think it's, um, like, the perception of control? Like, you're in a car, you feel like you're in control of everything around oh, you. Oh, no, I'm in control of this drunk guy T-boning me after running Exactly. Yeah, no, well, but that's not how people But think. there's a perception <laughs> yeah. when you're driving that if you get in the car, 
you are safe. You are the master of your own destiny somehow, mm-hmm. even though, as Kyle said, you can get T-boned by a drunk driver or a semi-truck's wheels can blow out and it can throw you off the highway or, 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 or. Yeah. But you get on a train and... Everything's on a more not, human scale now. Yeah, you're not in control of it. No, you're, somebody else is driving. Yeah, which is going to be a, a highly trained and professional operator. Yeah. But and you can also see all the other people around you, and your brain starts churning. And yeah. you're like, wow, that guy looked at me kind of weird. Maybe he's, you know, a serial killer. Meanwhile, if you're <laughs> in a car, you, you can't see that, and you're like, wow, this person is weaving back and forth like they're drunk. Yeah. Well, I have an issue with this on planes. I, I hate planes, honestly. I like planes. I, I get on a plane, I'm nervous the entire time. So this is why we need more Amtrak service? The, yeah, <laughs> no, this is why I, I want to add the train. Is uh, I like being on the ground um, a lot. <laughs> I, yeah. di- I didn't enjoy flying to England. I like being you, there. Have you ever been up with, like, a friend as your pilot? No, I've not. My gosh. No. Would you like <laughs> to do that? Because I can... I can maybe arrange for that. I would, but I think it's similar to how my parents don't want me to be a firefighter or anything. They're like, it is not too dangerous. All, it is not at all like that. I, even even small planes, which are the most dangerous sort to fly, are like, you know, not dangerous. Safer than a car. Immeasurably, <laughs> and also you know the pilot has immeasurably more training. Well, yeah. like, I haven't finished my license yet, and I have, let's see. 73 hours of flight time on the books, 35 of which is alone, plus, you know, countless hours of studying and, like, two different tests. Which is much more than they require you to drive a car in. Yeah, I've always, I've never liked flying, and I, I always know when I'm flying that the person flying the plane has been doing this for years and is trained, but it, it's just, like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, and like th- this actually, you brought that around very well to what we're talking about. And it's just, you know, there can be a serious gap between perception and reality. And, you know, in the case of people of color and Hispanic folks and undocumented immigrants, this is not actually helped by the police. Like, and, and you know, even, even queer folks as well. And, It's not helped by the police always because if you're, you know, me, white person, I get on the train, I see a cop, I'm like, oh, that's a cop. They're here for safety. Let's say that you are a, you know, not white person and you get on a train and there's a cop. You're like, oh, there's a cop. I I hope I don't get violently assaulted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I sure hope I don't get arrested without cause. Yeah. So I I sure hope I don't get verbally harassed. Correct. Uh, Traditionally, the solution to building a safe environment on public transportation has been very simple. More police, more police, more police. Even today, this rhetoric is reflected in the words of many leaders when there is a serious safety incident on public transportation. Uh, Like, for example, Eric Adams, after the recent subway shooting, uh, promised to, quote, double the number of NYPD police officers in the subway system and also to install metal detectors at stations. Great. We wow. had a school shooting. Let's put metal detectors in the doors. Uh, we do that. California does that. A I know. Yeah. <laughs> and put police officers, famous for helping in school shootings. 
very okay. famous for helping. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing a comparison here of how this is a generally not that effective strategy. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. Um, broken windows policing is so-called broken windows, which is where you kind of just go, overkill. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't work. It causes more issues than it solves. Yeah. Comments, concerns. Okay, continuing. Yeah. Uh, transit agencies have been focused on rigidly enforcing a code of conduct, with police officers zeroing in on petty issues like feet on seats, fare evasion, and even things as simple as eating. The trouble with involving police in said incidents is well known and simple escalation. Ah. When the police who are trained for handling serious crimes and dangerous criminals are used to enforce codes of conduct, there's often escalation that occurs. Right. I mean, let's say you are Officer McGee and you have just gotten on the train and, you you know, you're fresh out of cop boot camp or whatever they call it. I don't know what they call it. And they're training you to do, like, car chases and, and handle guns right, and like, that you're sort of like, stuff. You've been told, like, you know... At any moment, someone could pop out of the weeds and shoot at you and do this. And then you get on the train and someone has their feet on their seats. And then <laughs> they, you walk up to, I will be, you be Officer McGuffin at this moment. And I am um, random train patron, okay? So come up to me. My feet are on the seats. Um, can you get your feet off the seats, please? Beep off, you beeping beeper. Okay, I'm going to shoot you. Well, you know, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite that simple, but, I mean... There's a lot in between that. There's a lot in between that, but that can literally happen, is that someone has their feet on the seats, a cop comes up to them is like, hey, I need you to take your feet off the seat, please. They get told to beep off, and it escalates. Yeah, so this essentially means that incidents that should be really, really small and easy to resolve become serious and sometimes violent and sometimes somebody literally dies. Yeah. And these incidents, as we have seen in many a news story over many a recent year, are much, much more common among people of color. And, you know, women and queer folks and all the people we've been discussing earlier are all actually more likely to have these sort of escalating issues. Anyone but anyone, straight Anyone white but man. white dudes because, you know, what are cops primarily composed of? Hmm. <laughs> People of color and women? <laughs> no. <laughs> we uh, normally normally kind of conservative white dudes and they people are naturally less suspicious of people who are like them. Yeah. So, you know... You, and this doesn't matter as much in day-to-day -day life as it does when you're a literal armed police officer. With a gun and a taser. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Also, sort of an underrated problem is that immigrants, whether documented or undocumented, often rely on public transportation. And it can be very nerve-wracking to be asked to show your literal papers um, because we as, you know, citizens of the United States, like literally citizens of the United States, kind of forget that people who aren't citizens of the United States kind of live in a different world here. Like, you can literally be asked to show your papers. And if you yeah. don't, you could literally be dragged out of the country. Yeah. America. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Anyway, so the, the real solution that, you know, conservative leaders and even allegedly liberal mayors like Eric Adams like to push when there is a safety issue or a perceived safety issue on public transportation is more cops, more cops, more cops, more cops, more enforcement, more this, more that. 
We're going to be tougher on crime. We're going to catch more fair evaders. We're going to, you know, we're going to put metal detectors in fair gates, which is just so impractical. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) Metal detectors in fair gates. Can we just put metal detectors at every intersection in New York City so people can't do crime in the city? Yeah, people also can't walk through the city because that's bad. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They should be driving, the liberals. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, adding more cops doesn't really help most of the time. It just sort of... Like, especially even as we've seen, like, at the subway shooting, there were several NYPD officers in that station, and they were not able to do anything because there were so many people between them and the subway train that, you know. So more cops causes more issues than it solves. We don't have to make any philosophical arguments here. We can just look at the real-world examples. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really an abolish-the-police type. I think that that, first of all terrible branding. Whoever came up, whatever consultant in, like, the DNC came up with that should be, you know, sacked and then thrown into a different country. I, I completely agree agree with you there. That is just yeah. the worst possible way to frame the issue. But police useful? This is not a use this case is not for a use case lots for and lots of armed police. Yes. Yeah. The police in transit situations should be brought in as a very last resort. In response to a dangerous situation. Yeah. Not, not patrol. Yeah. So, what are the alternative solutions? Mm. Well, mm. for starters, we need to recognize this policing problem and decouple enforcement of transit rules and codes of conduct and fare collection and whatnot from actual responses to actual violent crime. Yeah, like the cops, as we've said, what are they trained for? Handling serious violence. violent situations. Yeah. What are they not trained for? Get your feet off the damn seats. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as I, as I must confess, I, as a train host, have said that you know at least a thousand times in the last week. So, <laughs> and you know what's interesting? Like in personal experience, me telling people to get their feet off the seats versus when the cops come on the train to do you know whatever, them telling people to get their feet off the seats, very different in tone. Like me, excuse me, insert gendered formal saying, ma'am or sir, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, would you mind taking your feet off the seat, please? And then they're generally like, whoa! And they're like, yeah, sorry. And I'm like, fine, moving on. The cops, get your feet off the seats. And they're just like, I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get in big trouble because there's a cop. Like, it's just very different tone-wise. It's a lot less... It's almost like the cops are trained to handle situations where they need to use that tone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, force. Yeah. Yeah. And so then their training sort of defaults them to any command that they give needs to be a command issued in the same way that I would to someone who is holding a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So just, General, could could you please be respectful of other passengers falls well outside the scope of the police's skill set. Yeah. So... Alternative solutions. Uh, several transit agencies are taking steps to reduce these conflicts while simultaneously increasing safety and staff presence aboard their services. So, what would you say is the number one cause for police versus person interaction on a transit vehicle? Fares. Um, Fares. Yes. I believe out of 300,000 police like contacts with passengers on public transportation last year, 260,000 were because of fares. 
So I, that gives you an idea. Not really a valid use of our armed police. Well, <laughs> sure, and that's why a bunch of agencies, for example, Sound Transit, owner of the Link Light Rail, mm-hmm. and BART, owner of BART, uh, <laughs> <laughs> have uh, created fair enforcement officers. I, they aren't. They, I shouldn't call them officers. They're fair enforcement personnel. I, I've encountered them on the Link, and. Uh, they're very professional, very calm, tempered. Do they just go um, around and hand out fines? Uh, they go around, they're just like, can I see your ticket? If it comes up, you didn't pay or anything. They're just like, we're not here to enforce it. We just want to know statistics. You're fine. Uh, just try and pay. And also um, what they do if you're a low-income individual, which is, you know, for some reason, the primary reason for fair dodging is being a low-income individual. I couldn't imagine why. But they are doing education programs, so if you walk up and they're like, where's your fare? Oh, you don't have it? Well, our, if you're a low-income individual, we have X, Y, and Z programs that might be able to help you pay your fare. Yeah, all right. I know. They were very nice. Um, yeah. So we're not getting actual fare enforcement and actually collecting the fare money, but what we are doing is creating a safe place for people to ride transit and keeping everything calm and professional, which is a lot more right. valuable than... Than the... Let's be honest, fair enforcement never recovers any money. Like, the MTA loses $300 million a year from fare evasion, and they recover, like, $2 million of that through enforcement. And they spend how much of it on they policing? They spend a lot of it on policing for enforcement. So, you know, the goal of fair enforcement is not to actually get the fair money back. It's to, A, present, like, oh, I might be fair checked. I don't want that to happen. I'm going to pay my fare. And to, two, <laughs> establish a presence of transit staff aboard a transit vehicle. Which makes people feel more comfortable. Right. And this is something that I would say is probably the number one thing transit agencies can do for safety in general, is have people in the body of the vehicle. Like, the environment, the, the environmental differences between Frontrunner, where I work, and I am in the vehicle, there is always someone in the body of vehicle, and tracks where there is never someone in the body of the vehicle, <laughs> are very different. Like, I have been harassed in a Trax train. We know people. Kyle has been with people who have been harassed on Trax trains. I haven't, but... It, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess sometimes. Yeah. That does not happen on Frontrunner, or you will be off my train faster than you can say ticket. <laughs> That's fast. <laughs> faster, faster than I can say ticket, please. Because, you know, the train hosts aren't... We aren't technically allowed to enforce rules. Because you don't have the, the actual physical power to back it up. Right. But what you can However, do... However, what I can be is a person in uniform who tells you to do something. Which works in the overwhelming <laughs> majority of cases. Yeah, people like, respect uniforms. Right, and I'm not allowed to ask for tickets unless there's something going on. And I will, if you are causing issues on my train... I will be asking for your ticket, because if I can come up with the easiest excuse to get you off the train, I will do so. Great. Yeah. And I have dealt with, to date, as a train host, and this should not, you know, deter anyone from riding Frontrunner, because I am there... To deal with this. 30 hours a week, um, you know, 200 days a year, I am riding the train 8 hours a day, or 5 hours a day. So I get to bear the brunt of the issues. To date, I have had two sexual assaults, three regular assaults, one of which I was assaulted in, and, uh, you know, a plethora of drug stuff. But, you know, that 
that happens. So the point of those things is not that you should be scared of riding the train. The point is that they were very quickly handled because there is someone in the train. There is a presence. To deal with it. To deal with it. Right. Versus on tracks where you got to wait like 10 stations till the cops show up. Because <laughs> <laughs> they camp out at one. Because <laughs> they camp out at one. Suspiciously, a station that happens to be a very low-income use station, but I won't say anything more about that. Yeah, it's, it's almost like pretty much all the UTA police does is just harass, harass, harass people for fares. People. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not going to say anything more about that because I work there. But by having this person in uniform, you get like all the benefits of that enforcement presence without any of the drawbacks of having a literal armed member of the police force. Right. There's no issue with cooling in the heavies. Right. But you, I, shouldn't, you should have to cool them in. You d- like, there's very rare circumstances where you would want them to be there every time. Yeah, and I will say, those assaults that I mentioned, uh, the cops came, and they were not nice to the person who did those things, as they should be, because those people did a bad thing, and they should be in trouble for it. Go UTA police. Yeah, UTA <laughs> cops... Um, the front-runner division of UTA cops is pretty cool. I will say that. I know them very relatively well, given that there are about six of them. <laughs> six of them? Well, yeah, for, I mean, for front-runner. For all of front-runner. Yeah. That doesn't seem two, like too two much. Two stationed in Ogden, two stationed in Provo, two stationed in Salt Lake. Nice. That way they can get to pretty much any station within 15 minutes yep. or so. See, when you put it that way, that sounds more than reasonable. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, no problem with calling in the cavalry, as it were, but, like, you know, having a presence is just so important to, like, safety because I cannot imagine the differences in harassment incidents in other incidents between where I am there and I can be like, you knock that off before it starts versus on tracks where there's nobody to do that. Are we ever going to get people like that? Ah, and you brought us to our next point. There are agencies who are implementing what are called either safety response teams or transit ambassadors or whatever. Uh, Cleveland has implemented these on their... They call it the rapid. The Cleveland rapid. The The rapid. The the rapid? The rapid. It's two light rail lines, (laughs) one subway line, and three bus rapid transit lines. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Which is, like, the most cursed configuration, especially since light rail shares track with heavy rail a lot of the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's unique in the entire world, I'm pretty sure. You cannot make this stuff up. Cleveland has a weird system. (laughs) Um, But what they have implemented is called their transit ambassadors, and they're basically, like, you know, a train host, except they just sort of surf the system and go around and talk to people and are nice and you know, deal with rule infractions and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure a friendly face goes a really long yeah. way. Right, and, like, the key is that these safety officers is... What I call them is safety officers because they're not cops, but they're for safety. Safety officers are about more than just, you know, enforcing the rules. It's about proactively building a good relationship with riders to ensure that there is no reason for issues to arise. Just like you do as a train host. This is ba- I. This is basically my job. Yes, I am basically a transit ambassador, except I'm required by the FRA because UTA can't hire enough conductors to do 
you know. So, <laughs> so budget conductor. Budget conductor. Yeah. Is this something that mainly applies to rail, or is this something that you see? The thing with bus is that there's always someone there. Yeah, it's only an issue on there rail are because. Less incidents on buses in general than there are on trains because there's, there's always, always someone there. in the body of the vehicle. Buses are a lot more personal. Right. And, yeah. you know, also bus operators, um, they have a lot more leeway to just get everyone out of the vehicle if they need to because mm-hmm. you can just stop on their side of the road. Unlike like rail vehicles out. where there is controlled access points and you have to... Get to the next one. Right. Yeah. So... It's, it's a lot easier to deal with these things on buses just because there is someone there. And bus operators are angels because they deal with this stuff alone all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> good on you guys. Mm-hmm. Bus, bus operators, I salute you. Um, yeah, so Cleveland has implemented uh, transit ambassadors. TriMet in Portland has created an unarmed safety response team to deal with, you know, safety stuff, stuff you don't and, guns and with. to go out there and just, you know, build relationships with riders and all that stuff. So, like I've said, it's it's a lot about being proactive in the way that you build a relationship with the rider to ensure that they're not going to have an issue. Yeah. yeah. Seems like we need to do this. Yeah. Yes. In more places, more faster. Submitted what is called an EGI at UTA or an employee generated improvement for them to consider this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a, a pilot of this program. Because I would totally be like, you know, the tracks train host who goes around and talks to people on tracks and asks for fares and is like, Please take your feet off the seats. How are you doing today? Please stop yelling. Please be nice. Please. Oh, yeah. This happened on the train earlier, and this was actually the impetus for writing this episode today. We were going to have a different topic. Uh, But some guy, like, he wasn't threatening anybody, but some guy was just, like, holding a six-inch knife on my friend and I's train to school this morning. Just holding it. See, five-inch knife is different. (laughs) Something about (laughs) six-inch knife really Uh, pushes it. Yeah, that was a little iffy. So... He got off before we did. So this was tracks? This was on the red line. Wow. It was packed as well because, you know, it's a student train. So, wow. yeah, this was not ideal. And the difference here, if you have one of these transit officers Let's here. Let's say I am on this train. And you're on as, the clock. As train host, I go into the car and I'm like, sir, uh, what you doing? And then he's like. Oh, just sitting here, and I'm like, okay, you do know, sir, that knives are not allowed on UTA vehicles. And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, so if you could put that in your bag for me and then just remember to bring it on, not bring it on next time, that would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. And voila, safety issue resolved, no manhandling, and no threats. So in most cases... I would say the overwhelming majority of cases, you can safely de-escalate situations like this. In the cases where you can't de-escalate... Now, if he gets gets yelly, yeah. Police are one button press away. (laughs) Well, and it's... (laughs) UTA Warm Springs Patrol, could you bring me some cops, please? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's probably easier for an employee to call the UTA police, like, mentally. You also don't have to worry about bystander effect. Oh, I know the cop. Yeah. Yeah. I know the cop, so I... Yeah, see, you know the cop, but, like... I feel like people would hesitate that's, on that. That's just standard bystander effect. Yeah, like, exactly. bystander yeah. effect. Like, Holy sh! That guy has a six friend, inch knife. My friend was on the train for a long time with this guy. Didn't call the cops. Just tried to pretend like it wasn't happening. And that was the true for everyone else on the train because, as far as I'm aware, it was not reported. Yeah. So. so and and everyone you, there was doubtless feeling unsafe. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you have a, you know, designated, trained, and paid official to deal with this. And de-escalate the situation. Then it gets dealt with instead of not dealt with. Well, right. And it may have driven such people to not have boarded the train with a knife in the first place. Yeah. Well, because you've educated the person. Because the last time they brought a six-inch knife onto the train, they were told, hey, could you not bring six-inch knives on the train, please? <laughs> and then, and then they're like, oh, and then they come out of their house holding their six-inch knife for whatever reason. They're like, oh, crap, I'm not allowed to take this on the train. So they chuck their six-inch knife back into the house, and the problem is solved before it starts. See? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're being very diplomatic uh, about this. I hope you wrote this in the um, improvement. <laughs> I did not write this in the improvement. Uh, I should have, though. So, yeah. Uh, so that, that's the personnel. That's the people side of transit safety. And that's, I would argue, one of the more important parts and one of the biggest things we're missing right, right now. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to move on to everything else, which mostly focuses on the built environment. Yes. So... Fun fact, the built environment of a transit system can also influence safety. Can I make a little bit of a comparison to underpasses? Yes. Underpasses are well known for being crime magnets. Look, it's this little dark place where people don't want to go. Except Except there are good underpasses and there are bad underpasses. There's this particular one, local reference, here in Salt Lake City on the Jordan River Trail as you're approaching 2nd South from the south. It's the scariest thing ever because... You're going into this little, weird, narrow underpass. You enter at an angle. It's it's super narrow, ceiling short, rivers right next to you behind a concrete barrier. And then you hit up against the end of this, and it does a hard right turn, like a narrow hallway, and then this weird, convoluted, rampy thing. And I'm, like, going around this corner. I don't know if I'm going to die today. I might die today. <laughs> you know, there could be Ted Bundy on the other side of the corner. You never know. And then there's a good <laughs> then there's a good underpass, like big, wide, well lit, clean entry and exit, good sight lines, like cameras, the one everything. On parways between Hidden Hollow and Sugarhouse Park. I was just gonna bring yeah, that yeah. one up. Yeah. Yes. And that one's not even especially notable. That's a pretty basic design, but they did a good job with it. And yes. that got a lot of fanfare when it opened. Yes, All it did. That's cool. <laughs> also, there's a nice guy that lives there, and he always plays good music. So, yeah. you know the guy that lives there? No, I don't. Oh, there's I've a guy. I've never that lives heard there. Every time, same person. Yeah. Well, I have to keep an ear out for him. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Bringing Other, that back to transit, there is. Good design and bad design. Bad design is when your station looks decrepit and ancient, like a lot of New York subway stations that look like they are about to fall and like they are infested with rats and crime, even though they are nothing of the sort. They might be infested with well, rats. They, so. okay. <laughs> and also well, crime. <laughs> New York gets a bad rap for rats that they don't deserve. Like, there are 2 million rats in New York City versus oh. 8 million people. Mm, it's not bad. Versus, versus London, where there are 11 million rats for 8 million people. Interesting. Yeah. So the the New York rat rap is a little bit over-exaggerated, but that's, you know, off topic. So stations need to be clean. They need to not be dingy. They need to be well-lit. Yes. Let's say that you are a person who is a minority and or a woman, and you walk onto a transit platform. You are probably in the habit of looking around in public spaces just to make sure you're safe. And so it is... So, 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 so important that there be light and that you can see everything on the transit platform. Copious amounts of light. UTA actually does a really good job of this with their rail platforms. Yes. Of just putting a whole bunch of nice bright lights. Like, it's as bright as, like, any indoor room ever. 
Inside yeah. of the trains are all plenty bright, plenty visible. Bus stops, on the other hand, good luck, Yeet. you might get mugged. Yeah, mm-hmm. you might die. Yeah. Wave, your, wave your light at the bus driver so they can see ya. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. the bus stops need work. The little dingy hole in the three-foot clear zone next to the four-foot dingy sidewalk with zero visibility in the middle of the night, not safe. Iffy. Yep. And uh, then to complement lighting, there's the physical design of your space, like sight lines and whatnot. Yeah. You want your passengers to be able to see everything around them. Yeah. There should be nowhere somebody can, like, hide and jump out or anything. Yeah, no blind spots, no No blind places. corners, like I mentioned with mm-hmm. the underpass, etc. Build, build glass bus stops, not brick ones. Yes. You know, as much as I like the shade of the concrete bus stops here at the U... Uh, those are really not very good bus stops in terms of, like, someone not being able to jump out and spook ya. Well, I think they've done... The U1 specifically have done all right because of their because of their size. their population. Yeah, their population and their size. I think they've done a pretty good job. Like, it's not like you took a standard bus shelter and just made it out of an opaque material. It's much bigger. So you can see in the entrance, and the sides are all walled off. Yeah, they're very brutalist also. Yeah. Like, they're, the weird, they're these weird little brutalist guys. Yeah, it's like most of the buildings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but standard bus shelters, glass is good. There's also usually a lot of people around. Yes, which is another thing. Um, higher ridership actually increases safety, fun yes. fact. Yes, know, we know yeah. there's lots and lots of bystander effect, like we just talked about with the knife story. But having more people still helps. It does help. Yeah, well, if it's just you and the knife guy, you, you're stabbed, you're donezo. But if it's you and two other guys in the knife uh-huh. guy, you can s- grab the knife and throw it out the window. Yeah, yeah. safety. Got a safety. lot better shot. <laughs> um, with ridership, can we also talk demographics? Because here in the U.S., we suffer a lot from transit as a handout for poor people. Yes. And if you make transit a handout for poor people, guess who rides it? Which people? Oh. oh, poor so, people, uh, homeless. And white and uh, uh, rich people in America have this unbelievable phobia that they've developed recently of poor people. Um, well, I shouldn't say developed recently. That they've always had of poor people. We're very kind of a anti-poor. We like to pretend that we're like a super egalitarian society, <laughs> but you know, the middle class and upper class are really afraid of poor people for no reason. Yeah, that's a problem. Well, we, we need new more Gucci <laughs> bags on trains. <laughs> you're gonna feel much safer on a train if you're like bringing your kids on. If there is another family with kids, yeah, you'll feel more comfortable bringing your Gucci bag on a train if you if see there's another other person Gucci with a Gucci bag. <laughs> it's a lot of the same effect we see around the U. You're gonna be more comfortable on insert transit service with a bunch of other college students. Yeah, with a crap ton of college students. Than you yeah. are on the late night tracks train that has like one homeless person shouting and going around and asking everybody for money and like two other people in the corner. Yeah. So safety in numbers is a thing. Also, underrated thing for safety. Frequency actually has significant safety benefits. Because you don't have to wait at the bus stop for 20 minutes right. in the dark. Like, let's say that you you're waiting at a bus stop or even a well-lit transit station can be unfortunate if you are a person who is subject to the sort of harassment that is unfortunate. You're spending more time in this place, and therefore you're increasing your exposure to whatever risks are present. Right, so it's good for trains to come more. Also buses, buses, especially, especially buses, buses, because like, bus stops are the worst of the worst offenders in terms of safety. Yeah, it's just a sign most of the time. And then you're stuck with whatever garbage the built environment around that sign has to offer. So really better frequency. Big um, another benefit of frequency, and this especially fl- applies to high frequency metro systems, is if you're on a train, 
There's there's no official to help you. You feel threatened. You can get off the train get and on get on the next one, one. And it's three minutes later, yeah. and it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas even on tracks, you get off a train, you have to wait 15 minutes for the next well, one. You can wait six minutes on UVA, two hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> My okay, so, uh, Every six minutes, the service is so fast. Because our buses are so low capacity. <laughs> We have to run more buses still, to fit all the students. You know, six six um, six UVX buses an hour is still like a third of the capacity of the average tracks line. I think the buses one bus holds less people than one tracks car. Significantly. Are they that small of buses? No, it's just a bus, and it you know it can't be. It's limited by wheels and standing room. Standing room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wheels, stairs, all sorts of interesting stuff. I, I guess you do forget how big trains are. Yeah, <laughs> by, by virtue of being on the superior steel wheeled technology, they can kind of be as big as they want. There aren't really weight constraints. Yes, no. but anyways, more buses, more trains actually have safety benefits. Also, as we said earlier, increasing the presence of staff is good. Yeah. Yeah. And you do all of these together, and bam. Voila, you have a safe and accessible transit system. Yeah. And we um, solved it. We've, we we did solve it. Yeah. Now uh, everyone's going to do it because we talked yeah. about it. Can I mention that, like we've discussed a couple of times throughout this episode, the same problems that affect safety on trams that affect all sorts of different public spaces. Yeah, this, thereby, is, this is very much like an urbanism issue, yeah. not just a transit issue. Thereby, all these same solutions also generally apply to all sorts of different public spaces, mm-hmm. like lighting, sight lines, having people around having officials that you can talk to if you have a question or you can de-escalate situations. Yeah, this is important for every public space ever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And this, oh, this is the other thing. Here we go. Media narrative around transit safety is just horrific. Like we said, perception. Anytime there's any like minor thing that happens on transit, the media is like, surprise Pikachu face, evil, bad, public danger transit is stupid and evil and has bad people on it and you shouldn't ride it because it's dangerous and bad. Like the last time there was a shooting on the New York subway. Obviously, mass shootings are very bad things, and we should do everything in our power to make the them not happen. The subway is so <laughs> unsafe now. It's filled with crime and danger. It's so dangerous and bad. And that's all that the media talked about in New York for like six weeks. Okay, C- <laughs> could you imagine if news outlets report on every single car crash and every single oh, that, that way? And then, right. <laughs> I know, right? Car bad, evil, big oil, burn them now. <laughs> Eat the rich. Maybe we should start a news company. <laughs> We could be Murdoch, except not evil. This, this is like oh, we could be a bit evil. <laughs> I'm kind of lenient. This is so. like the angry evil version of Sweet Street's traffic violence map. Right. No, but it, <laughs> it's seriously an issue. Like, just the other day, like this, the Trib. There was, uh, what was it? I don't remember. But the Trib had, you know, a panicky headline over safety on transit. Like, operators fear to go to work because transit is dangerous and bad. Good old Trib. Yeah, the trip be like, the same thing goes for like all of Portland media right now, which is being like, TriMet, super dangerous and scary, filled with homeless and danger and crime. 
bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Me- meanwhile, car, perfectly safe. Nothing ever goes wrong Nothing. in the car. Yeah. It's not the leading cause of death of people under yeah. 18 except guns. No, it's suicide. <laughs> so news coverage and perspective should be scaled to match the actual issue in hand. Like, oh no, transit operators are in danger in such and such region. Okay, you're not going to accomplish anything by making a big flashy PR headline about that. You're going to accomplish something by attacking the issue directly. Well, and this makes thing people feel even more unsafe is because, you know, whenever you drive, you never hear... It's, it was an accident. It was a freak accident. It, it's, ne- it's, you know, a freak rare accident. We've never seen a freak <laughs> accident like this before in our freak accident lives. I versus, know. Versus, like, you know... Um, there is a literal freak accident and, a, and like a UTA train derails and they're like, public transit, dangerous, That's scary, That's so predictable. Bad. This happens Films every day. Every day. The, the commuters fear for their lives. Dude, I don't know who's paying to make the perception look like this. The car, the yeah. Coke brothers. Yeah, the Coke brothers. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Oh yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, because like, they, they funded Turning Point USA. These, these things, and the Heritage Foundation, yeah. which is way more important. Like these, these are op-eds mostly being written by people from like the Heritage Foundation, the Manhattan Institute, the Cato Institute, this is literally the Coke Foundation. So you're telling which me all these perceptions. <laughs> which sound very like academic and innocent but are actually like evil right wing think tanks. So you're telling me all of these perception issues are really just the oil lobby? It's just well, rich yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. And car lobby. I mean, yeah. to an extent. To an extent, to obviously. The, to the extent that the middle class as a whole fears public transportation, it's the media's fault. To the extent that women who actually ride public transportation have reasonable fears, that's on transit agencies. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. So, um, I'm actually going to be putting out a video in the near future about this sort of media narrative about cities and public transportation, about how they make it, like, seem... Because my goodness is it skewed. Oh, good lord. Like, like, oh no. Crime is on the rise in New York City, and it's, like, barely breached, like, the levels of five years ago. <laughs> and it's all because COVID. Yeah. It'd be a good video. Uh, me- yeah. m- meanwhile, uh, freak SUV accident, car runs off-road. Uh, By accident, from an accidental reason. What, one, pedestrian no suspect, one pedestrian succumbed to injuries in the hospital. Pedestrian suspected of causing accidents. <laughs> <laughs> freak cyclist runs they out into the road. They came out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, freak pedestrian steps into the road and <laughs> causes massive pileup accident. I, uh, when I die, I want the headline to be freak pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> At least it has pedestrian in it. Yeah. But yeah, you can go around and rewrite those car crash headlines one by one to actually. Driver place. hits pedestrian because they were on their phone. Yeah. Driver was driving a car. 36,000th traffic death in the United States happened today, <laughs> this yeah. year. Great. Someone died today in a car, and you didn't hear about it. 30 people died in a car today. Driving is dangerous and bad and filled with crime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're not Now, can we talk that. about parking garage crime? Yeah. Um, no, we can't. So, <laughs> yeah, transit safety is actually very safe, but it doesn't feel safe because the media and because transit agencies are not always doing their best to make it safe. So we should fix that, correct? Yep. That's all I can say. So thank you for listening to our significantly more serious than usual episode, which was spurred on by the fact that I saw a knife on the train today. Six inch knife. Six inch knife on not the train five today. Inch. I sure wish I could have told him to please take his knife home. Um, but 
UTA doesn't pay you to do that yet. Yet. So, uh, thank you to all of our subscribers. If you are listening on YouTube, please remember to like and subscribe. If you're on Spotify and iTunes, follow and leave a rating. And then follow us on Twitter for various urbanist shoot posting, etc., etc. And thank you to our patrons. Curtis Herring. Mike Christensen. Phobos2390. Uh, those are our frontrunner tier patrons at $10. At $5 for the red line, we have Brian Smith. Jacob Whitecotton. Robert P. Walsh. And in our $3 blue line tier, we have Ben Busseth. DJ Will Watkins. I will. Ethan McDonald. And Martin Hoker Martinez. Thank you for paying us to have ill-defined conversations about safety on transit. And have a nice day. Da-da-da-da-da.